Boraway Army and fellow music fans, I'm Kayla. And I'm Bethany, and we're the hosts of Standing BTS from the Consequence Podcast Network. We're a bi-weekly show that covers the impact and legacy of K-pop group BTS. We mix the perfect blend of research and fangirl as we take a deep dive into lyrics during album reviews, theorize over music videos, and keep up with their current events. No BTS topic is off limits. We welcome everyone into the conversation, whether you're a casual fan, committed ARMY, or someone who's just curious about one of the biggest music groups in the world. Come chat with us every other Thursday with a new episode wherever podcasts are found. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Spark Parade, a show where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Ons at Spark Parade on all social media. Uh, Today, I've got a very special year-end bonus episode for you featuring my chat with Theater Art Life co-founder Anna Robb about Salvador Dali's iconic painting, The Persistence of Memory. Um, This is a special one for me personally, because I am a contributor to theaterartlife.com, which is a global platform for live entertainment industry professionals. Uh, I had a lovely conversation with Anna, so I think you should hear it right now. But first, quick Anna facts. Anna Robb is the co-founder and managing director for Theater Art Life. She is also an accomplished producer and production stage manager. Her work has spanned six continents and companies like Cirque du Soleil and the Sydney Opera House. Quick persistence of memory facts. The persistence of memory is a 1931 painting by artist Salvador Dali and is one of the most recognizable works of surrealism. This well-known surrealist piece introduced the image of the soft melting pocket watch to Dali's work. And it epitomizes Dali's theory of softness and hardness, which was central to his thinking at the time. And there you have it. Let's carry on straight through, shall we? Here comes my chat with Anna Robb about the persistence of memory. So, the uh, standard first question, do you uh, actually, you know, I know with a piece like this, when it's one of the most recognizable images in the world, probably. Um, It may be a little bit difficult to remember exactly when you first uh, saw it, but do you remember seeing it for the first time? And if not, uh, what was your experience of uh, becoming connected to this piece? I do remember when I first saw that picture and it was in my teenage years. And I think the reason why it's quite a significant picture for me is um, I was a particularly uh, a child and a a teenager that really loved art. And I had a big book called The Art Book and it had the history of art and had all of the impressionist painters and surrealist painters and uh, modern painting. and, and, And I used to just, you know, back in those days, you didn't have the internet or anything that you had at home. So you were like... I used to devour myself into books and 
when I came across Salvador Dali, I think it was a very big dis- disruption in my life because in my mind, art was aesthetically pleasing, mm. you know, to me. And then when I see this destruction, and I'm quite a structured person, and when I saw this destruction of melted clocks, mm. I was like, well, this is not like pretty and this is not something you'd hang on the wall and why would this be a famous painting you know and and it it was an agitation and I think that was really I I was I thought about it a lot when I it was in my teen years and I realized that it was you know art is quite subjective right and so and it also isn't necessarily just about something pretty that you hang on the wall. It, it can be, it can make a statement. It can agitate you. It can trigger you. And that's exactly what that that painting did did for me. And I think the reason that that it was a profound thing for me, particularly at, at that age, was, you know, when you're a teenager, you're always asking yourself if your thoughts are valid or if what the way you look at the world is the right way to look at the world or you know you you're asking all of these questions as you're growing and and what it really um stood out for me is that okay if he can see the world in that way and he can paint his vision of the world in that way and that has validity and the world has validated that view as as crazy and as nutcase as his writing is as his art is then anything that I come up with in my mind is also valid like there's no line of what is right or wrong the way I see the world has validity and I think that was a real innate confidence that Salvador triggered in me Mm. and then then sort of pushed me forward to go, okay, well, in my artistic world, whatever that is, it can be my expression and people will like it and people will not like it, but it's there and it's valid. And uh, I think that was a beautiful start to the creative life that I've lived. Yeah, um, I I think that's a a really fundamental thing about creating art and being an artist is understanding that exactly like you said, that taste is subjective you're never going to please everyone. And, you know, you create things, you put them out in the world and it doesn't, not even art, you know, wh- whatever it is that you do with your life, you, mm. um, you know, you do your work, you give it to whoever is going to receive it. And at that stage, in, in most respects, it's out of your control. You don't get to decide how people are going to react to it. You can change it afterwards if you want to, but in many cases, mm. artists, don't want to do that and it's not about justifying themselves to other people mm. and mm. you know salvador dali in his lifetime was celebrated he was a celebrity um and you know had this very uh modern um experience of being an artist and was fortunate to have such great success in his lifetime which a lot of times does not happen especially for painters but he was also a divisive figure and you know Mm. i'm thinking you know the famous story of his father basically having him driven out of his hometown not for you know this painting but for other work that he did that was provocative and those kinds of experiences that it's uh, creating and having to deal with the consequences, but also, you know, having enormous praise. So there's these two, this push pull of um, people's reactions and kind of having to say, I'm going to do the things that I want to do and people Mm. are going to react however they react, but I just have to 
you know, be true to myself and stick to what makes me happy and what my passions are. And that's what my life should be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he really embodied that. And also, I think that that beginning of his that picture sort of became an innate fascination with that person that lived on the other end of spectrum of, you know, even I, I used to start although I'm a production stage manager and I work in, in in producing shows and things like that, when I first started out, I thought I was going to be a designer, um, a mm. set designer. So I went to university for design for theatre and television, but that covered lots of all of the areas of production, not just design. But, um, but it really drove me to follow that kind of fascination with him. And I, I remember when I first travelled to London, there was an exhibition of Salvador Dali's at... Uh, uh, just at uh, just in the center of London, and I on the back of all of the paintings that I knew he did and I'd studied, it opened up another world because he used to write a lot too. Mm. He used to write lots of poetry and all these sort of things. And some of his stuff I feel is quite profound. You know, I mean, one of the quotes I there's a couple of quotes I really remember. It's one one that is, a true artist is not one who is inspired, but one who inspires others. Mm. And I think that's a really it was it resonated with me because uh he was the one that inspired me to express myself in the way that i might want to either in a design phase phase that when i was designing but also i've i've looked back now on my career and a, a lot of people would say i've worked in more of the management and technical side of shows but i've realized that you never when you're in part of creative processes in theater and, and production you're never removed from the creative process and you're never not part of that creative process and the way that you feed directors and the way you feed choreographers and the way you support them is a creative um relationship right it's not just me being i'm going to organize and i'm going to write your schedule there's this soft art of knowing when to let them run away with their creativity and when you need to pull them back to get the things done that you need to get done. And I think my early years of, of being involved with the creativity and being involved in the creative side and, and seeing myself as more of an artist, when I moved into that management thing, I understood the creative nature of needing that, an actor needing that extra 10 minutes to work through the thing they needed to work or the director really wanting to have that time to find that beautiful image on stage with the lighting and the set and not me pulling them back in. And often I see younger producers or stage managers trying to control and restrict the time and it's not necessarily conducive. So it's a, it's a dance, you know, and that's a creative dance. Mm. Um, and I think that, again, it's just, it keeps going. For me, it comes, uh, comes back to those things that I learned through, through my art studies. And I think also, um, the way that you look at the world if you've studied art is really changes the way that you perceive things the way that that light falls on somebody's face the way that if you speak to any designers in your life or performers or actors who they they they're such observers of the world right they 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 look at actors observe people and pick up characteristics that they put in their bank to use later you know and and they just see people in another in a different way than other people that live their lives as accountants or mm. bankers. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? They're really they're, their curiosity is there, and they and they see it. And it's the same with designers. The design lighting designers will see will be very affected by the ambient light in the room, whether it's 
fluorescent light or whether it's soft and beautiful or if it's placed nicely and designers who are set designers will see a wrought iron gate and be inspired by that and and that sort of thing and I just I just love that way that creative people see the world I think it's really fascinating and I think that's born from art being taught in schools and so I, I'm really adamant when people talk about like art and human arts and humanities being er eradicated from the school curriculum I it really hurts me because I feel like there's such beauty in understanding the world in that way rather than just being you know when you when people are focusing on stem or science or maths yes that's one way to view the world but there's this whole vocabulary that is such a gift to people's lives if it's exposed to them at a young age um so i'm always very thankful of that art training as a as a as a young kid yeah that's brilliantly put but i i think yeah like uh having that foundation to be able to look at the world through an artistic lens um is is so important and to my mind, Salvador Dali was like uh, a physical manifestation of the uh, that, <laughs> that kind of foundation, that artistic process. And it was like mm. taking all of those feelings about <laughs> how artists prepare their work and how they feel about their work and turning them into a person. And I just think of, mm. you know, every photograph of him with that kind of uh just seen a ghost expression on his face and <laughs> it is um, isn't it it's always weird and quirky. yeah <laughs> and you know this ridiculous mustache and yeah it, it really embodying the surrealist movement to so many people and i think this painting in particular when you talk to people about what surrealism is it is probably one of the first things that comes to mind, just being such a, a driving force, so dominant, uh, probably much to the chagrin of other surrealist artists, but he really yeah. is the figurehead of um, the surrealist movement, at least, you know, in, in hindsight. Um, and yeah, have, having somebody, especially during the time when he was alive, uh, a painter not a movie star, not a uh, musician, be uh, being that kind of famous uh, almost instantly. I mean, you know, instantly in in quotes, uh, it was a few years before his career really picked up steam. But from the time that he painted this painting to international uh, global superstardom was not a long period of time and he was mm. still quite young when he was really prominent and you know world famous and his entire life was almost uh performance art his his public persona was um an expression of art really right it just this you know like yeah. eccentric instantly identifiable person who's like his personal image the the way he dressed the way he styled himself was just as recognizable as this painting as his most uh, famous images and yeah I just just like a, a really fascinating and unique uh, person in in the world of art and this kind of link between fine art and the again the world of celebrity I'm thinking of like mm. seeing him you know at studio 54 and stuff like that and being on chat shows um in america and those kinds of things that i don't think uh really 
that kind of celebrity doesn't happen very often for painters now. The art world, no. No, not at all, is it really? Not, and that's just, and it's just such a, I guess, a wash, a wash of people producing wonderful art, which is a fantastic thing, but that was just a significant movement. And it's not just that picture, you know, the the, the persistence of memory, but it's, it, those, there's a lot of those the images with the the person with the drawers. I don't, I don't know the names of all the pictures, but then mm. also the 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 head with the that's kind of held up by toothpicks. And there's a lot of just iconic images that are kind of burnt in my brain from his his um, series of famous arts, which I art, which I think is quite fascinating. And that's why I love it. I don't like any of the pictures, but they trigger me and they provoke me. And I think that's just the, the like, that's the wonderful thing about, about his existence was that it, it really challenged people. And um, I, I think that's what really a, a lot of art is about. You know, it's really not just to, and to comment on culture. It's kind of that thing is like, is art a reflection of culture or is it or does art drive culture and 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 it's a bit of to and fro but somebody like that that comes onto the scene is really driving a culture it's really driving a movement it's really bringing something to the table that's not it's not a reflection of society it's 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 a new it's a new thing i think that's just super cool really yeah. We need more of those crazy people out there making crazy art. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think before the 19th century, the idea of paintings, of art, that was a very specific thing um, and it was much more formal. Mm. And then, you know, with the Impressionists and... Um, you know, cubists and um, all of these other uh, movements that really shifted the idea of what painting could be and gradually it became less formal and there was a lot more room for weirdness. And this, I think, was such a, a critical... Um, I mean, this this painting in particular is was such a critical point in terms of the public acceptance of and recognition of weird stuff <laughs> when it came to <laughs> painting and um th this image even though there are things about it that are grotesque there are things about it that are very you know unsettling looking at it um it's still something that is incredibly unfathomably popular and is also mm you know, become almost a cliche. There's like all of these parodies of this painting and it's been used, you know, on, on The Simpsons and, um, you know, so much of pop culture has focused on that particular image and on all of Dolly's work. Um, mm. And it is really amazing to me that something that is so different to the traditional paintings that people would have been looking at in museums at that time was still this you know international sensation and people really responded to it um which i think speaks mm. volumes about uh his creativity and his ability ability to influence culture i think the other thing that's interesting that i like to sort of challenge myself with with regards to that and art in itself is that that was his expression of the world and that was his expression of the way he viewed the world and and sometimes when you know if i asked you who you were uh, often people will define themselves like i'm a wife and i'm a mother and i 
I I'm a yogi, I practice yoga mm. and, I, and all these labels that we place on ourselves, but the, they're not really an expression of who you are. They're, they're labels that make people identify you as your construct in the world. But if you ask somebody, okay, if your life was a canvas and it was a painting, what would it be? And I often ask myself that question because what would be when you if you were to paint your life on a canvas it's a different vocabulary it's not a label of wife and mother it's there's colors and there's texture and there's there's things that you could choose to put on that painting that would be an expression of yourself that would be a far more accurate depiction of your inner world and you as a person than it would be if you told me to list the titles or the labels of who you are. And that's where I think art is beautiful. And, I, and that's why when I think about my life, I think, okay, what's that canvas and what do I want that to be? And then you you physically manifest that. Now I'm not a painter. I mean, I used to paint and I'd love to, when I have more time in my life, to go back to painting when mm. I'm not working and raising kids and all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> because I think it's, some, it's so wonderfully therapeutic to be with no purpose just to be letting your and express expressing yourself through through the color and through texture and through things like that and sometimes i ask that of people you know if your life was a canvas what would that painting look like hmm. and it just gets them to think about who they are in a different way as opposed to the labels that people usually put on themselves yeah and i think that paintings like this uh are paintings that people come back to over and over again it provokes this very visceral emotional response in people and um mm. i think a, a part of that as well is it's a surrealist painting there are things in it that are you know kind of break your brain these melting clocks and still know, agitates me yes the melting yeah. clocks. <laughs> um, and this whatever creature in the middle that is uh supposed to be uh i think uh representation of him um mm. but at the same time having this background this foundation in very recognizable realistic imagery having these cliffs in the background the sea in the background um the you know uh whatever it is block that these clocks are dripping off of even the dead uh tree and the branch that's holding one of the clocks all of that yeah. stuff um kind of gives you a framework that allows you to experience all of these other weird elements a bit more clearly because you have this stuff that's recognizable this stuff that's like feels much more traditional stuff that can exist in the real world so you know there's all these different layers to it and um yeah it does feel like an image that people come back to over and over again and just uh get kind of obsessed with and i think that those are the kinds of paintings that when people are asked if you had to choose a painting that defines you um the complexity involved in this painting it lends itself to that kind of thinking that it's like when you're thinking about all the things inside you you don't necessarily think of super clear literal images it's like blobs of color and mm. um you know formless shapeless things that are just ideas and parts of you that you can't really define in in any specific tangible way so yeah this seems like a, a perfect example of something that someone could use to express their 
consciousness. No, it's true. I think that's the, the, the essence of that surrealism is the juxtaposition of absurdity within something that seems to be quite a normal landscape as opposed, because if it was just a, a, a bunch of melting clocks sitting on a canvas, it would be an abstract kind of painting. But mm. you put it in a context where it sits in a some sometimes some kind of semi-reality, and that's when it starts to to jolt your senses in terms of okay, well, half of this picture is normal, and half of this picture is completely surreal and absurd, and mm-hmm. and and then what is it? And it's funny because for a while there, I also used to like read inter- people's interpretation of what it meant. And I just loved it because there was never a real clear, <laughs> this is what the painting means. And I'm always looking for like, okay, I just want to know exactly what was going on in that person's head when 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 they painted that. And and I think that's another way to, to really appreciate the art is to just be look, it's an insight into their psyche, right? And, and what people have, what people find as valid i always remember around the same time we went on a school trip i think it was to the national gallery of canberra in australia which is that act it's capital territory australian capital territory so it's like the washington of uh, of australia and there's the gallery there and there's a very famous um painting by Jackson Pollock, the Blue Poles. I don't know if you know of that mm-hmm. um, painting. And um, I was very excited to see the Blue Poles because I'd read a lot about Blue Poles and this guy was, you know, I mean, a, another complete weird, crazy artist that just threw paint at a massive canvas with lots of um, just so much paint, ridiculous. Anyway, I got there and, and we saw the Blue Poles and it was bigger than I expected it to be. It was more impressive than I expected it to be. And it was like... It was there and it was just there. And then the thing that was really shook me was like to the right of the blue balls, like one of the most famous paintings in the world, especially sitting there in Australia, the National Gallery of Canberra, was this painting and it was a black square and it was called Oil on Canvas and it was literally a black square. And I was so, excuse me, I was so pissed off that a black square was sitting next to the blue balls in the National Gallery of Canberra. I was like, how is that art? What is that person thinking that they're going to think? And then how did anybody validate that and put it next to the blue balls? I was just, I just constantly fascinated by one, the painter painted that and thought it was a, a real piece of art. Two, they thought it was valuable enough to put next to the blue poles in the National Gallery in camera. I was like, I love it. It's just so challenging to me because it, it, none of that makes sense, right? Right. And I guess, you know, that gets back to the subjectivity of taste, but also the subjectivity of interpretation. Mm. And you look at something like uh, blue poles and the entirety of Jackson Pollock's work. And that's something, you know, it's this very uh, high energy, emotional, like, you know, bursts of just like chaos. You feel the energy on the canvas when you see it, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. But at the same time, I, you know, uh, there are other people who look at that and say, anybody could do that. It's just whacking some paint on a canvas and hit this, his style of painting is just splashing. And that's, you know, anybody could do that. And 
the, you know, thinking about that black square, like I agree, it's not something that really speaks to me or that seems like something that's very difficult or, um, you know, it's harder for me to understand things like that. And I think that veers into the territory of art that people need to justify or that there needs to be some kind of explanation as to why you're supposed to think that that's something that you should appreciate. But again, even with Dolly's work, where I think there is a bit more form and structure, even even though it is weird and otherworldly and, and you know, doesn't fit in with uh, anything that exists in the natural world, at least as, as a whole, the same kind of thing could be said that, you know, there are people, I think his uh, technical talent is undeniable. Of but, course, yeah. Um, yeah, there are definitely people who are just not into that kind of thing and don't get the same kind of um, excitement from it or don't feel, you know, challenged by it or it doesn't make them think. They just, you know, want to dismiss it. And I think that's kind of an amazing thing about art is that the the diversity of taste and uh, experience and the the way that people engage with art is is one of the things that I think makes it so interesting and sparks discussion and um, you know helps people to understand themselves and the world around them totally and i think when you when you become that observer from that perspective when you look at other people you really and and in your own self that you're you're also you know in equal measure picasso's stuff is equally crazy in terms of its construct and stuff but i love picasso's Mm. color i love its construct I, i i mean and then there's the other end of the spectrum, you know, I mean, there's people that are quite happy to buy a print on from Ikea and put it on their wall mm-hmm. and be like, there's my artwork on the wall. And yet, and that's cool. But in my mind, it's like, I don't want an Ikea picture on my wall. Like I want something that's on my wall that means something to me or as representation of my taste or anything like that. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where people are spending millions of dollars to hang a Picasso on their wall. And I'm not in that realm either, right? Because one, I could never afford to buy a Picasso, but I'm also, although I appreciate his work and I appreciate Dali's work, I'm not going to have them hanging on my wall in my house, right? So there's this entire gamut of appreciation for visual art and, and and art as a as a as a as a medium for people to express themselves that, that it's just so wide and it's um when you have these conversations with people which i don't often actually have conversations with art, about artwork so i appreciate you bringing up the topic because uh, i think it's it's something that it, it really reveals a lot about the person when you start to talk about art if they're interested in it what can't what what that what's their what's their idea of their aesthetic what do they like to have and I, that's why i love when i go to people's places or houses like i say designers and actors are very receptive i'm very receptive because i make shows of the environment what people create for themselves i'm very receptive to this the space that they live in the artwork that they put on the wall, the way they place their furniture, the energy in the house, you know, and it tells me a lot about, it's not there in terms of judgment. It's just, it tells me a lot about their values and what their focus is or their interests or their energy. It's it's exuded in their expression of themselves within their own living space um, or their office space or their dressing room space. Right. Right. All of these things, you know, I always used when I used to work for Cirque du Soleil, um, I used to love, I used to have to go around and tell all the cast what their, 
their roles in the show was early on before we had a, a system to for them to read it themselves but and i would love to go into because we had people from all different countries but they'd all they all converged to come to this show to work in las vegas and we had people from eastern europe and we had people from quebec and we had people, and, and and each person's space was like this burst of expression of themselves you know we had some dancers that were just like mess everywhere and color and photos and makeup strewn across their dressing thing and then we've got some of the people from eastern europe who were just completely pristine lived by a routine everything had its place and all of that sort of stuff and it just it was just an expression of them and it's just a wonderful way to see the diversity that you you discover in in the arts but also just people in general um the way they express themselves um and even that is for me an expression of art right the way that they place themselves in the world is also just another version of art really yeah yeah and you know i think that kind of gets to the heart of what this show is all about is talking about how your taste the things the the pieces of art that really speak to you and help to define who you are as a person also help other people to understand you as well um and you know i think you can learn so much about people through their taste um and mm -hmm. also the way that artists express themselves the way that they maintain the space where they create their work um all of those things it really uh without even having to speak to people really helps you to start to get an understanding of who they are, where they come from, um, their cultural identity, all of those things. Um, mm. and it seems like a, a good, you know, I don't think those things define people in, in, uh, entirely, but it's a good first step to <laughs> getting a, a look at, um, you know, their, their thoughts and the things that are important to them and how they live their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's part of the reason I find that what I've really enjoyed about my work, especially in entertainment, is that exposure to such diversity of people and having lived in four continents and having worked in many more countries that, that lens keeps getting open wider and wider of, of, this experience for me to see the world in all its colors and shapes and forms and it's such a gift that is on top of the wonderful projects that I get to work on or things but um, having to really you know live and experience people's lives by immersing yourself in their culture and immersing yourself in their um, you know because I, I feel there's a big difference between going to Paris and taking a picture of the Eiffel Tower and actually going to live in Paris and and surrounding yourself and doing a project in that place right where you're actually working with the culture and working with that psychology and the people and 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 their motivations and their eccentricities or whatever it is that they are and I say eccentricities but it's they probably think I'm equally eccentric because I'm <laughs> come from another culture and another place and I just think that's that's just that's just the other layer of beauty that working the arts brings brings to brings to people I think you can also get that in in other businesses as well the people who travel around the world as well but I think there's something quite special about coming together with a group of people that come from all over the world and collectively creating something, you know. So we're, we're creating live entertainment. It's a live piece of art. So it's not a painting on a wall, which is an individual expression, but a collective coming together 
and expressing themselves collectively is also just a wonderful challenge, but also can be a beautiful process as well. Yeah. Um, mm. I think that is a lovely uh, sentiment on which to uh, finish. This has been so fun. Thank you so much for, uh, for making time for me. Oh, Adam, it's a pleasure. I'm so glad you you asked about talking about art because I think I really haven't spoken about Salvador Dali for years. So I appreciate <laughs> initiating the uh, the conversation. So anybody that listens knows that I'm a big fan. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much again. Um, I really awesome. appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Anna for chatting with me. Check out theaterartlife.com. It is a tremendous resource for anyone who loves the arts. And that's about all I've got for you today. No new spark from me for this episode. Uh, I'm saving that for next week, which will be the last Spark Parade episode of the year. Can you believe it? And it is going to be a doozy. You don't want to miss this one, I promise. But for now, have a fantastic weekend. And until next time, bye. Hey there, Robo fans and Dino fans. Do you like science fiction? Do you like movies about robots and dinosaurs? Do you like podcasts that explore sci-fi philosophy through a fun and positive lens? Then you are going to love Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Every week, your host, Louis G, invites a guest onto the show to talk about one of their favorite sci-fi movies. It's a Robocast. It's a Dinocast. It's a battle for ultimate awesomeness in science fiction pop culture. Subscribe to Robots vs. Dinosaurs on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Friday. Follow us on Instagram at Robos v. Dinos or Twitter at Versus Robots. That is at VS Robots. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.